Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life. I'm your host Avik and today we have an incredible guest with us. Yes, I'm talking about Maraika. Welcome to the show Maraika. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here Avik. Lovely, lovely. So Maraika like before we start our conversation today and we delve deep into the topic, uh, I'd love to mention this to all of our listeners that Maraika is an award-winning author, mindfulness coach and playfulness instigator. who believes <laughs> is the transformative power of getting present and shading the inhibitions yes mm. so her upcoming book yeah you're saying something right now no i'm just agreeing oh. thank you for that okay <laughs> great great so uh, also i'd like to mention uh, to all of you that her upcoming book uh, naked in the now juicy practices for getting present delves into the value of knowing our inner selves better and the freedom that comes with being truly present so in a world where often masked by self improvement efforts uh, maraika guides us on a journey to embrace the vulnerability and discover our inherently imperfect yet wholly lovable selves <laughs> so yeah and and her personal journey through the challenges like uh infertility and childhood trauma has fueled her passion for helping others break free from the armor of thoughts and the beliefs so she also encourages us to embark on an inner striptease so taking off what might be weighing us down and uncovering the juicy potential of getting naked in the know <laughs> so i'm thrilled definitely uh, to have maraika here today to share her insights on the mindfulness playfulness and the art of being present so maraika welcome to the show <laughs> thank you what a lovely introduction you did such a nice job thank you thank you so much yeah so maraika like uh, to start with uh, if you can share a bit about your personal journey like how it led you to become a mindfulness coach and the playfulness instigator hmm good question well um let's see um you know i started out as a uh you know straight a student in university and i was kind of driven for the need by the need for perfection you know i um I liked to control my environment and I had certain expectations for life um 
Anyway, it came to a screeching halt when uh, my husband had an affair with my best friend. So, so um, all of a sudden, everything that I thought I knew and about life was challenged. And I began to question what I really did know and how sure I was of some of the assumptions and beliefs I've made. Now, my husband and I, 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 we decided that we could either separate or we could weather this storm. And if we were going to weather this storm, what that meant was we needed to dive in deeper to each other, to our individual selves. So we did the traditional path of, um, of hiring a therapist, a couples therapist, but we also took a less conventional path and we signed up for what was called a year-long love and ecstasy training with uh, Margot Anand. She is a famous author. Anyway, what we began to learn, the principles of meditation and self-inquiry and acceptance on that year-long course that we took, and um, it, we began to realize that we had not been truly vulnerable with each other or even with ourselves. And we began to get curious about diving deeper. For me, in the middle of this training, I, I un began to uncover what I had buried pretty deep, which was childhood sexual trauma. And um, as I began navigating that, that very difficult terrain of shame and unworthiness, um, well, for one thing, um, it actually helped my husband and I rekindle our relationship because he was very present with me. He was absolutely, completely supportive and present with me. And so we began to reform this trust and to be willing to look at very dark things in our own life, in his life, in my life, and to realize that um, what I basically just came to the understanding that um, I am inherently imperfect. Um, any of us humans are inherently imperfect. And it's not in striving to be a better version of ourself mm -hmm. that we find happiness or connection with another, but in being willing to be vulnerable and authentic with ourselves and with another that lays a new ground for connection. That had just not been intuitive or hadn't quite realized that before. So um, it's very scary to dive into vulnerabilities and to expose yourself and it, it, your inner self and what we think of as shameful. But what we, what we come to find out is that, first of all, many people are harboring similar feelings, maybe for different reasons, but... Um, they might also feel inadequate or shameful or unworthy. And finding that common ground gives us a connection for one. Um, but it also gives us back our vitality. I, What happened to me was I had gotten to a really 
low point where I wasn't sure if I wanted to live. And I'm a pretty happy person. Even even before, I was kind of an optimistic, happy person. But I had come to this climax in my life. And I went into the woods <laughs> by myself without enough, you know, warmth to care for me. And um, I laid there all night. And just as the sun was rising, I heard a bird call and it pierced me in a, in a way that I didn't expect. And um, what, what pierced me with that bird call was this sudden understanding that life itself is imperfect and yet wholly lovable. And what I was looking at when I heard that bird call was um, a tree that had grown crookedly to try to find the light. So it had, you know, it had its branches was kind of weaving its way through all these other trees. And I was thinking that tree could consider itself imperfect. And yet it's beautiful the way that it has carved its way to seek the light. So I I got curious. <laughs> I got curious about the process of self-inquiry and who I really am. Wow, lovely. That's that's really lovely, Ewan. So um, one more thing, like uh, your upcoming book is uh, a naked in the now and juicy practices for getting the present. What inspired you to choose such uh, a title? <laughs> yeah. Why naked? Um, so I definitely picked the title and all of the chapters of the book have these similar sort of, you know, slight mm -hmm. nuances. And I did it to get people's attention uh, for one, but also because nakedness is, um, is a concept that simultaneously invokes terror in our hearts. We, you know, it sounds so scary to expose yourself, but it has this other side too. And it has the side of being playful and juicy and full of potential. And um, what I realized along my way and why I wrote this book was that what I think any one of us truly desires in life is to be present, is to be right here, right now, vitally alive with whatever is happening. And that requires us to accept whatever is happening, even when it's unacceptable, even when you're uncovering memories of trauma. Um, so, but I also realized that when we are truly present, we are like lovers, naked. We aren't stopping life from revealing itself to us. We are with life as it reveals itself to us, even with the pain of life and the richness of the pain of life. So um, I wanted to capitalize on that idea of to be present, you, you must not be harboring your ideas of how life should be or how you should be or I should be. Um, you have to be willing to investigate 
how your beliefs and assumptions might no longer be serving you. Exactly true. Yeah. So, uh, in a world that is filled with self-improvement efforts, you advocate for embracing the vulnerability and shedding the inhibitions. So, how does this contribute to one's overall well-being and the mental health? Hmm. Well, you know, it's very counterintuitive to, hmm. um, I think, to notice that when we are very present, there's actually a lack of intense self-identity. We are just we are just present. We aren't um, actively in the process of uh, protecting a certain identity. Um, so while my book falls into the category of self-help, I actually like to think of it as a no-self self-help book. And that's because of this quality of not being self-absorbed when we're present. We aren't, um, we aren't worrying about who we are in the world. We're just experiencing it. Um, and I think it's a it's a gorgeous thing to notice that vitality. Certainly, we need our self-identities. It's how we operate in the world. Um, it's, you know, to, to a certain experience, it's who we think we are. But it's not exactly where our vitality for living rests. Mm -hmm. That rests in letting go of all those identities for a moment and allowing life to penetrate us. Um, and it's we're not really taught that. And we're not really wired that way for good reason. I mean, our brains want us to want they're always looking for how we need to improve, you know, things to become better at. What I like to say is it's not about looking, to improve yourself so much as stripping away, stripping away everything that is keeping you from being a present and just discovering what it feels like to just be here right now. And it people think like, oh, you know, I have to stay in that, in that experience forever and ever. It's it's not really like that. It's more like just dipping into tiny little moments of de delight, turning your attention to what's happening right now and experiencing it innocently and freshly. Um, and then and then you go on with your life and you're back in your identity and that's fine. But then when the suffering creeps up again, you can, again, look for a moment of delight, look for a singular moment of delight. And the more you start noticing this and your ability to turn attention, the more you realize that your entire life is pe peppered with this. We're just taught to focus on what we think about, not what's here right now. Wow. Does that make sense? Definitely. So, okay. So now, like, if you can elaborate, the concept of being... Uh, uh, naked in the now, like how it relates to discovering our true selves beneath uh, the thoughts and the beliefs. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah. So um, the I I say that the concept of being naked in the now um, comes from the process of self inquiry from from checking in with these moments when we've let go of our persistent identity and our protect our our, our in, um, inclination to protect ourselves. Um, so I call it, I say that there's a, I, 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 this, a simpler way of looking at it is a, a three-tier approach, which is just to begin by asking questions. And one set of questions encourages you to um, consider what else is here other than your thoughts. So typically, we identify with our thoughts. And so the first question is to ask, what else is here? And this puts us, hopefully, in tune with what we're with our senses, because our senses only exist in this moment right here. We can think about what we sensed, but actually sensing something, the coolness on the top of my hand, which is resting on my leg, the 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 feeling beneath the seat of my chair, the the way the light is coming through and, and shining on my face. All of those physical experiences only happen right now. Um, so to get back to the physical and right now, I, I encourage myself to ask, what else is here other than my thoughts? We're just so trained to only live in our thoughts. So it's a very simple, quick little te technique. What else is here? Oh my gosh, look at there is a bright pink bougainvillea. And you just your attention just momentarily goes somewhere else, which is right now, instead of in your thoughts. And then the question for... Uh, another question that I like to ask is, is that so? And this is the question that trains me to question my beliefs and assumptions about life. Because we collect these, we collect these beliefs and assumptions, and sometimes we don't notice that they're not really serving us. And by that, I mean, they are not making us happy. They're not making us happier. They are maybe even contributing to our suffering. So I like that question because it encourages me to stretch my limits. And my my favorite story about that is has to do with rock climbing, which I took up when I was in my mid-50s. Mm -hmm. So at the time that I took up rock climbing, I was physically unfit. I was I was um, uh, had no upper arm strength, and I was desperately afraid of heights. So naturally, my thoughts are that is a, my daughter suggested it, and I'm like, I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm not fit enough, and I'm afraid of heights. That is a really dumb idea. I'm not going to do that. But I had also committed to this idea of asking myself, is that so? And so I was like, dang, I don't know, actually. I just have this idea that I can't rock climb. Maybe I can rock climb. And I decided to try. And it's not like I instantaneously was great at rock climbing. I would cry on the wall 
you know, 65 foot rock wall and 20 feet up, I would freeze and I would cry. But, and I would notice my thoughts and my thoughts are, were, this is dumb. You can't do this. You're too old. You're not fit enough. And then I would then say, is that so? And I would think, well, I was doing this all on ropes, of course. So I was safe. I say, well, I think I can get one more handhold, you know, and I would just get one more handhold. And I couldn't, the, the, the beauty of it was on top rope, I could only fall a few inches. So I knew it was a psychological fear. I wasn't like going off and trying to, you know, free climb or something. But the thing was, is that it was the most empowering thing I think I had ever done getting to the top of that rock wall. It was like, holy cow. <laughs> I am a rock climber. Who knew? <laughs> but it's also powerful when we judge others. Yeah. Because, you know, is that so? I, I feel like you really shouldn't have done that. Is that so? How, who would I be if I didn't have that belief that you should be a different person? And it opens your experience of life and another person and your own life in a powerful way. Exactly. Lovely. And then the third question I like to ask is, what am I? <laughs> really? And by that, I mean, and by that, I mean, you know, like, am I this body? Am I this mind? Just asking questions, just considering what do I believe? Where do I start and end? Do I start? where my body ends or is there like a little bit out from it? Is there like an aura? What is an aura? You know, just asking. Cause I had certain ideas and I realized I don't, I'm not sure I really know who or what I am. Sure, sure. So, uh, I mean, dealing with the challenges, uh, like indefinitely and, uh, uh childhood trauma must happen to transmit. So how do these experiences shape your perspective on healing and uh, being present? Um, well, for anybody who has ever experienced uh, what some people call PTSD or post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, that is a that's a condition where a traumatic the a, a new event will trigger the feelings of um, trauma that you experienced in the past. So, um, you know, for like a, a classic um, example is maybe a person who was in war who has post-traumatic stress. And then when they hear a loud noise, they start getting all of the feelings of that time when they were in war and their heart is beating or whatever. And for for me, um, there can be different triggers. It can be um, it can be a feeling of shame that overcomes me for for whatever reason. And what I began to notice was that um, was that there was was that I didn't experience those triggers when I was completely present. And so naturally, you you want to increase the times that you're present because it, what I began to do uh, is uncouple the physical sensations from the thoughts about it. So my heart might be beating really fast, which I then say that means that I'm in danger and I'm going to be hurt and somebody is going to take advantage of me. And I, I had to 
I had to learn to uncouple those thoughts from the physical sensations. So also, again, something like rock climbing helps because my heart would beat really, really fast. And I would say, oh, but this could also be excitement. Or, you know, I had to uncouple the conditioning that just hooked the thoughts about a situation to the physical sensations and allow myself to have the physical sensations. It's very scary when you first do it because they're so tied to the thoughts. Did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, I mean, many people may associate it uh, with uh, being naked. So with the discomfort or the vulnerability, so how yeah. do you guide the individuals through the process of embracing their vulnerabilities and finding that strength in it? Yeah. You know, I think that people get scared because it seems like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to expose everything right now. And, you know, that just sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> it probably is a really bad idea. Um, so what I like to say is, first of all, just start with your own self. You, you're just learning to investigate your own self, and that's scary in and of itself. And you do it in tiny little practices, like a seven-minute guided meditation where you just practice looking at what else is here? What else is here other than my thoughts? Or practice... Um, um, Counting your, th befriending your thoughts is another way. Usually we think that we have to get rid of our thoughts, but it doesn't, it also doesn't quite work that way. We have to be willing to look at them to decide if they're thoughts that are worthy of keeping and or thoughts that are not worthy of keeping. And what my, what my criteria for that would be is, is a thought causing you suffering? Because if it's causing you suffering and, and it keeps coming up again and again, um, it could be time to investigate, is there a way to turn my attention away from that thought? That thought may come up for you all your life, but you can learn the trick of directing your attention somewhere else. And um, it's in tiny, it's just in the tiny little practices that... Um, transformation happens. That's what's counterintuitive, I think. A lot of people talk about a gratitude journal, you know, they, if you write something that you're thankful for, you know, 10 things a day or something, you begin to notice that you just feel better about life. That's a sort of a similar example. I do it through what I consider turning my attention to tiny little moments of delight. Um, now, there's all kinds of psychological um, aids that are that, that are remarkably effective and helpful in when you go on this journey. So if you're in a dangerous situation, you want to learn things like emotional boundaries or physical boundaries or things like that. But that doesn't mean that you can't investigate on your own how to how to have some vitality just within your own self, just to be willing to look at, should I really be ashamed of that? I was a five 
four-year-old child who was, why do I feel shame for that? Clearly, it couldn't have been something that I could have helped. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm unworthy because something happened to me that I couldn't have helped. No. Why do I feel unworthy? Why do I feel inadequate? What else might I feel if I let go of that? I don't know. I think that's that's what I would encourage is with yourself and just beginning to investigate on your own um, what your assumptions and beliefs are that might have been causing you suffering and how to direct your attention. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, as a mindfulness coach, uh, what advice do you have for those who struggle with the uh, incorporating the mindfulness practices into their busy life? <laughs> well, you know what? I wrote a whole book for that. <laughs> um, yeah. um, you know, I think a lot of people think that meditation means you're not going to have any thoughts and that if you're having thoughts, you have failed at meditation. Hmm. So I've been meditating for, I don't know, like 30 years now. And if I sit down to meditate this morning, for instance, hmm. I may have not a ton of thoughts. It's okay. It's what happens is there's a relaxing. And it's like, oh yeah, those are thoughts. That's my brain. That's fine. Where am I? It's a it's a return to the it's a willingness to return to the moment again and again and again and again. And it doesn't matter that she went off. It's not about not going off in thoughts. We need our thoughts. It's about practicing turning attention away from troubling thoughts. Hmm. Um, and you do that typically. You can do that by getting into your senses is probably one of the fastest ways. Um, and there's 30 other practices in my book, <laughs> and they're all really short. But for your listeners, you can also go to my website. And if you subscribe, you get to a page where there's where I share my guided practices, and I'm always adding more. They're the same practices that are in the book, but they're free and they're, um, they're little guided practices. So... They can try that and see if that helps. Wow. Great. So um, before we wrap up, like if you can yeah. share a sneak peek into your book and highlight any key insights and all the practices that listeners can look forward to exploring. Okay. Well, first I'll show a picture. This is my advanced reader copy of my book. Yeah. And, um, you know, so this is kind of fun, but I just had a book review by it's called a Kirkus review. Mm. And um, I loved how they summarized the book. They said refreshingly uncomplicated ways to. Um, oh, gosh, now I forgot it. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, I have it here somewhere. Refreshingly uncomplicated ways to. I don't know. It might maybe it said improve your relationship with your partner or with yourself. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. Great. So, so uh, um, yeah. there are very short little practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're breaking up just a little bit. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, tell me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. So that's what I would say. Um, there. Um, 
It's it's a book that helps you befriend yourself. It also has some practices for helping improve relationships as well. Okay. Okay. Juicy practices, actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great. So that's really lovely. And um, uh, thank you so much, uh, Marika, for joining us today on Healthy Mind and Healthy Life. Uh, but I believe like your insights into unveiling the presence and embracing the juicy now have definitely left us uh, inspired and encouraged to embark on our own inner striptease towards the authentic uh, uh, living. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. <laughs> exactly. So for the listeners, I'd love to mention, like, I hope uh, uh, Maraiska's journey and practices have resonated with all of you, offering a fresh perspective on the mindfulness and the power of being present. So do not forget to check out her upcoming book, Naked in the Now, Juicy Practices for Getting Present and explore the transformative practices she shared with us today. So if you have enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback helps us to bring you more engaging conversations and the contents with the thought leaders in the realm of mental well-being and the holistic living. So remember, it's time to shed those innovations, embrace <laughs> the vulnerability, and savor the juiciness of every present moment. So... Until next time, stay mindful, stay present and continue your journey to a healthier mind and a vibrant life. So thank you so much. <laughs>